Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So this past week, um, the weather got cooler. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, me too. I, I am a cool weather kind of guy. Like, I love the colder weather. If I had a preference, I'm choosing uh, the fall and winter months over, over the summer months. That's just how I am. I like, the, I like being able to put on all the layers. I love wearing a good hoodie or a coat. I love um, the holiday season that we're coming into. I love uh, the fact that right now you have both football and basketball on TV at the same time. Like, it's just... It's a glorious, glorious time. But one thing I've noticed is um, it's harder to get up in the mornings right now. Have you noticed that? It's, it's tougher to get up. And I, I don't know what that is. I think it's because like it stays darker in the house in the mornings or something like that. Like uh, it's, it's darker longer. Or um, I also noticed this week that with the weather changing, uh, we just flat refused to turn on our heater. And in the morning, our house was frigid, right? Like just cold, like 64 degrees in the house or something like that. And uh, so you're in the blankets and you're all warm and cozy and you're like, I, I'm not getting out there, <laughs> right? And so I just wanna stay, stay in bed. It's just easy to stay in bed. I take my daughter Adley to school every single um, school day. And uh, she's kind of paranoid, worried about missing school or even just being late. And uh, so in the morning, she's always the first one up. Uh, she, she gets herself up, she gets herself ready. And then she kind of just like starts making a lot of noise in the house, you know, to just make sure that everybody knows it's time, it's time to get up. So I'll hear her outside in the hallway as I'm struggling to get out of bed, I'll hear her start rustling around and I know, all right, she doesn't wanna be late for school. And that's my encouragement to get up and, and, and get ready, right? And, and so sometimes in life, like you need, you need encouragement to, to take a step. You need encouragement to make some kind of move. Um, recently, we just booked a Caribbean cruise for January, and so I've been finding myself in the gym a lot more recently, right? It's just, it's an encouragement to get moving. Um, I don't really know why I'm going to tell you this, but I am, but um, so uh, this, this week, my son, he's seven, he, uh, he, he's very athletic, he does a lot of athletic things, and he came in, uh, he does like monkey bars and and stuff like that and and so he's he's a strong little kid he came in our living room the other day with his shirt off and my, my wife goes Dax like you've got a six-pack he's like what's that he's like, you got a six-pack and so now he's been like strutting around the house and flexing and stuff he told his little brother yesterday that uh, Ames you've got a four-pack you know and uh, I heard Ames in the backyard yesterday ask Abby uh, mom how many packs does daddy have you know it's like ah I've got one. I've got one, one pack, right? So again, that's motivation to get to the gym. And so in life, we need a little bit of motivation. Um, it's easy to get comfortable or complacent in life. And so sometimes we need that encouragement to get moving. And that's exactly what our text is this morning. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. We started last week the study in the book of Hosea. We'll be in it a total of four weeks. This is week two. If you were with us last week, though, you remember um, we talked about the story of Hosea and Gomer. Uh, it's this real couple, this real marriage that took place. Uh, Hosea was a prophet, a preacher, and he was told by God to go and marry a prostitute, and that's what he does. And we talked about his story and how it's a picture of God's love for his rebellious people, his rebellious people being Israel, right? 
And, uh, but in that story, Hosea chapter three, like we saw this beautiful picture of, uh, of, of Gomer. She cheated on Hosea, um, has two kids that aren't even his. She runs off and she's in a, a dark place. She's either at some other guy's house that he has to go and find her or she is at some kind of slave auction type of situation. But either way, she's at a deep, dark place. Hosea goes in after her and then he does something crazy. He buys her back. Um, brings her home, renews his vows with her. And his vows that he renews are basically, hey, Gomer, you've got to quit running around. You've got to stay faithful. And in return, he promises faithfulness to her, right? And it's just like, what do you, I mean, Hosea, you weren't the one that was unfaithful. She was, right? And so imagine that scene. Imagine Gomer returning home to be with Hosea and just what that might have been like. And that's kind of what we see this morning. We see a picture of repentance. We see a picture of renewed closeness here. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Before we, before we jump into the text this morning, I want us to pray. And so I'm going to pray for all of us. And just take just a moment right where you are just to pray and ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we want to ask that you would speak. God, I pray that your words would come across clearly, nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say would be heard this morning. We pray, God, that through your word and through your spirit that you would speak to us and challenge us and shape us. Would you help us, God, to, to return to you, to, to know you more deeply this morning. We're listening, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's read Hosea chapter 6. Verse one, and I want you to notice just how beautiful this language is. It, it's, like a, it's like a song or a hymn that we see here. Hosea 6, verse one. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. And so we talked in the beginning there about um, encouragement, right? In this passage, we see two encouragements or two exhortations towards something. Uh, we see an encouragement to return to the Lord and an encouragement to know the Lord. So that's basically our sermon outline this morning. Uh, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Verse 1 says, let's return to the Lord. Let's return to the Lord. Now that word return is, uh, it's, a, it's a word that we use a lot in church, but really not anywhere else, and it's the word repentance. Repentance. And so what, is, what does that mean? Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, the concept of repentance is less about turning from something, and it's more about turning toward something, okay? It's less about what you're turning from, it's more about what you're turning Toward. I'm kind of a visual person, so, so uh, maybe, maybe this will help. Imagine I look over here to this side, and I see this sitting here, and I'm kind of enticed by it. I'm kind of drawn to it. I look over, and I see a Hershey's chocolate bar. Hershey's chocolate bar. Anybody just like a super fan of, of Hershey's? Like you walk into a grocery, sta grocery store, you, okay, you're going to go, and you're going to buy a Hershey's. Not me. Um, it's not even on the top 10 list of my favorite candies, right? Um, I'll eat it, sure, um, because it's chocolate and because I have a sweet tooth. 
Um, but really, it's only good if you squish it between some marshmallow and some graham cracker. And, um, but you know what? It's still good. And so, so this is kind of a picture of being drawn towards sin. This is a picture of being enticed by it. You're probably even going to enjoy it, right? But what if I look over here and I notice something that is just far better? Like, it, it's not even in the same ballpark. It's so much better. I look over here. Reese's, right? Reese's. Um, anybody say Reese's? Okay, man, me and you. I, I say Reese's too. Um, I'm working on saying Reese's, but like if we were just talking, I would probably say Reese's and people are like, well, do you say Reese's Pieces? And it's like, yeah, I do say that actually. Uh, that's what I say. But I, I'm working on saying Reese's and this is my favorite candy. Like it is the gold standard, top of the top, best candy in the whole world, right? Perfect ratio of chocolate to peanut butter, especially around the holidays, like little pumpkins and little Christmas trees. You know what I'm talking about? Like it just doesn't get any better. Rip the knob off. These are perfect, right? As, as far as like in the candy world, I say that these are the Peyton Manning of the candy world. Just absolute perfection. Far better than a Hershey's. Like not even in the same ballpark as a Hershey's chocolate bar, right? And so the picture of repentance is not me going, I gotta, I'm turning away from this. It's not me uh, not choosing this. It's me turning towards the Reese's, right? It's me turning towards something that is, that is far better. It's a simple movement, but it's me turning towards something that is far, far better. That's what repentance looks like. And so turning from sin, turning from this thing, my back being to it certainly is a part of it. By default, that's happening, but I'm turning towards the thing that is, that is far far better. It's more about what you're turning toward than what you're turning from, okay? And when we repent, we turn to God. See, as Christians, though, we place a lot of the focus on the sacrifice. We place a lot of our focus on the thing that we're turning from or the thing that we're giving up, right? But that's an incorrect way of, of looking at it. You've heard the saying, it's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, Right? We don't, we don't put the emphasis there. In the New Testament, um, Jesus calls his disciples to turn from something or leave something to follow him. But the emphasis is always on following him, not what they're leaving. Right? So in Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus call uh, the disciple Matthew. And, and Matthew was a guy, he was a tax collector. And if you've grown up in church at all, like you've heard the stories about the tax collectors and how nobody liked them and they were kind of punks and all that. And that's true. Like um, the reason people say that is because they had kind of sided or they paired up with Rome who was oppressing Israel. And they began to kind of have this negotiation, like this, this work relationship with Rome where they would tax heavily their fellow citizens and then kind of pocket the difference. So nobody liked those guys. Right? They were slimy, they were crooked, nobody, nobody liked them. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus goes in to the tax office to talk to Matthew. And so it's not like there's some kind of question on who is Matthew, or uh, maybe Jesus made a mistake and he meant to call somebody else, but he accidentally got the tax collector. No, no, he, Jesus intentionally went into the tax office to talk to Matthew, and he tells Matthew, he goes into his place of work, and he says, follow me goes into the place, into the place of darkness, and says, follow me. It sounds a lot like Hosea chapter 3, when Hosea goes into the dark place, and he calls out Gomer, and says, it's time to come home, right? That's what Jesus does. And Matthew gets up, he leaves his life as a tax collector, and he follows Jesus. And the Pharisees got mad about it, because that's what they do, 
They're always mad at Jesus about the stuff that he is doing. And they said, how dare you associate with someone like that, right? You've heard this story. How dare you associate with someone, someone like that? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, it says this. Now, when, when he heard these things, he, meaning Jesus, said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or love and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy or love and not sacrifice. You know what's happening there? Jesus is quoting Hosea chapter 6. He's quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, that says this, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. So repentance is not about the sacrifice of the thing. Repentance is about turning to the one who's already sacrificed everything, right? That's what repentance is. And so through the gospel message, through what Jesus has done for us, we have that opportunity to turn to what is far better, turn from our sin that separates us from God. Jesus died a death that we deserve to die. He rose again from from the dead so that you and I could turn towards him. He is the thing that is far, far better, and we turn to him. And he only asks that you turn to him and follow him with your life. So will it cost you some, some things to follow Jesus? Sure. Like, it will cost you some things. In fact, Jesus actually says, um, he, he says to count the cost of following me. Jesus is saying, it's going to cost you some, some things to follow me. So, yes, it will cost you some things, but you get him. And he's far better, right? He's far better. And so that's the picture of repentance. And when we do that, when we turn to him, he promises to heal and revive us. That's what the passage says. Uh, verse, verse two, he will heal us. He will bind up our wounds. He will revive us. After two days and on the third day, he will raise us up so that we can live in his presence, right? But the problem is this gets a little uncomfortable because if you read this passage, um, he, he's going to heal us from wounds that he made. <laughs> he's gonna bind us up from things that he actually did that caused those, those wounds. Hosea chapter five, verse 15 we hear God say this, and he compares himself to a lion that has actually uh, come after the people of Israel. Hosea 5.14, for I am like a lion to Ephraim, or Israel, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. Yes, I will tear them to pieces and depart. I will carry them off, and no one can rescue them. Now, did you hear that? God says, I'm a, I'm a lion who's going to devour you. I'm going to tear you to shreds and then run off. No one's going to be able to save you. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a little uncomfortable. And so in verse one of chapter six, like that's what he's talking about, that he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. I think the best way to understand this is, is that to understand the fact that sometimes there has to be pain in order for healing to occur. Here's what I mean. Think about um, like a surgery. Think about a surgery for, to get rid of some cancer or something like that. In that process of removing that cancer that will kill you, there's pain involved. There has to be some cutting. There's some blood that is, that is involved in that surgery. But through the pain, you are actually being healed. You're being revived. 
And so that's kind of the, the, the main overall emphasis of the book of Hosea, that there's accusation of spiritual adultery. They're cheating on God with all kinds of other lovers. There's consequences for that action. But the, the overall message of the book is restoration. Just like we see in the picture of Hosea and Gomer, that God comes after Hosea, or <laughs> Hosea comes after Gomer, redeems her, buys her back, and brings her home. He restores, he restores her. And so we see here, man, that God may actually bring about pain in your life for your own good. And that's uncomfortable to hear, right? That God may actually bring about pain in your life for your own good in order to actually bring about healing in your life. That sin, the spiritual adultery that we, we see throughout the book brought about pain and judgment, but turning to God brings restoration. It brings healing. And so that's the first encouragement in Hosea 6 is, is let's return to the Lord because he's gonna heal us. Let's return to him. Let's remain faithful to him because he is the one that will heal us, right? And then the second encouragement is in verse three. He said, let's know him. Let's know him. I think the point for us to see there is that God is knowable. Like, have you ever thought about that? That the God of the universe is actually knowable. See, I think, I think the idea of knowing God is kind of an abstract idea for us. And if we got really um, honest with ourselves and with others, like we might even say, like, I have no idea what it means to actually know God, right? It's just kind of this abstract idea. Do you remember, um, if you're kind of a 90s kid or something like that, you remember the, uh, the, the 3D puzzle books um, that would kind of have these fuzzy images and stuff. I've got a picture of it on the screen here. Do you remember those? Are those still a thing for, for teenagers? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so like it, with this fuzzy picture, like you would, you're supposed to hold it like really close to your face and like cross your eyes and stand on one foot and like kind of slowly take it away from your face and then like an elephant or something like that would pop out of that. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all look at me like I'm a crazy person right now. I feel like we used to do these all the time in school. In that image, apparently there's a shark in that one. But like, I think this is a good illustration of what some of us think whenever it comes to knowing God. Like it's this fuzzy thing. It's this abstract idea. Some people are good at it. Some people know how to do it. I've never really been able to figure it out and everything's just kind of blurry and fuzzy. But that's not how God is at all. That's not how he is. He is knowable. He is knowable. And not only is he knowable, but he wants to be known by you. He's revealed himself clearly through the word and through Jesus so that we can know him. And he desires closeness with you. That's what the book of Hosea is about. I mean, look, again, look at the picture of Hosea and Gomer. God desires closeness with us just as Hosea desires closeness with his unfaithful wife. Hosea 4.1 kind of gives us a picture of what it looks like to have this knowable, close relationship. Hosea 4.1 accuses Israel and it says, there is no truth, no faithful love, no knowledge of God in the land, right? And so we can reverse those things and see what a healthy picture of knowing God or having a relationship with God looks like and it's built upon truth. It's built upon knowledge or that word is actually, a, it, it paints a picture of intimate closeness in a marriage and then faithful love. Like, that's how we have relationship with him, through truth, through intimate closeness, and through faithful love. He is knowable. 
But it gets kind of confusing because look at verse three. That word strive, do you see that? Let us strive to know the Lord. That word's confusing because it kind of, it, it carries a connotation of like putting forth some effort or running or chasing or pursuing something. And so maybe if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking like, if he is knowable and he wants to be known by me, then why do I have to strive to know him? Like, why do I have to put forth some effort to know him? You know, and it's just sitting there kind of wrestling with this. Like, you mean I have to work to know God? And I would say, yeah. Yeah, you do. There is some effort that we put forward to know him. It doesn't just happen by accident or by osmosis or, or whatever. Like, you're not just gonna wake up and find yourself further down the road of knowing knowing God like it takes some effort on our part and so if, if, if knowledge of God is built upon like we said out of Hosea 4 1 it's built upon truth it's built upon knowledge or intimate closeness like in a marriage relationship and it's built upon faithful love then if we could get just very practical right now then you can know him you can strive after him in truth by being in his word this is ultimate truth right and he's revealed himself through his truth and so very practically we strive after him by being in his word very practically we strive after him with for intimate closeness or knowledge through prayer through talking to him just like you would any kind of relationship if you want that relationship to be strong we well, got to talk right and so intimate knowledge is is built through prayer through talking with him and then very practically a relationship with him is built on faithful love faithful love it's putting in the time. It's showing up. It's, it's loving him through faithfulness to him. I, I read an article this week that was saying the most important thing that parents can do to disciple their kids, more than having a little Bible study at home, more than having like family worship time or whatever, which I, you know, those are great things. I encourage you to find ways to do those. But more than those things, the number one way to disciple your kids is just faithfully come to church. Just faithfully show up. Week in, week out, whenever you don't feel like it, you show up, you put in the time. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to have all the answers, it's literally just exhibiting some faithfulness. It goes a long way. How many of you, like me, are a product of this in your own home? Like, this is how I grew up. We, we were there, right? And studies actually show that teenagers, whenever they go off to college, are far more likely to remain in church if they see this exhibited in their parents throughout their life. Now, that's not a promise, you know? I mean, Proverbs even talks about that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he, he will not depart from it. Proverbs are not, like, legit set-in-stone promises. You may have a, a kid who kind of wanders away, right? But they have a far better chance if you will just exhibit some faithfulness in your life and consistently show up and so if God is noble and if God wants to be known and it just requires a little bit of effort on our part to know him just like any other relationship then it could be said that the only thing standing in the way of knowing God is you the only thing standing in your way of truly knowing God is you like, if you feel like you don't know him or aren't close to him, it's probably because you aren't putting forth the effort to pursue him. And that happens for all kinds of reasons. We, put, we allow our pride, we allow our arrogance, uh, we allow our hobbies, we allow just our laziness to get in the way of truly knowing the God of the universe. 
Like, how sad is that, right? Like, just a little bit of laziness keeps us from truly knowing the God of the universe who, who says he is noble and he wants to be known by you. It just takes a little bit of striving after him. But again, this, this is a passage of encouragement, right? It's a passage of encouragement. So the encouragement here it should be heard this way. Like, come on, let, let's strive to know him. We can actually know it. So let, let's go. Let's strive to know him. And verse three says that his appearance is as sure as the dawn. This thing of a sunrise, it comes up every single morning. That daily, he's here, his presence is here, and he's with you, and he's warming you, and he's bringing light to the darkness of your life, like his appearance is with you. And he says that he will come to us like the rain or like spring showers. Just like Hosea came after Gomer, God comes to us. And when he, when he does, it's like spring rain on a dry ground. It brings refreshment, it brings relief, it brings growth in our life. And so the point of this passage like, is for us to hear the encouragement this morning. Hey, let's return to the Lord and let's know the Lord. Let's return to him and let's know him. That's the point of Hosea chapter six. But as we close, like, I, I wanna point out the thing that I believe is kind of the hinge in this whole discussion. And it's the two words at the beginning of both of those encouragements, let us. Let us. Do you see how that's corporate? Do you see how that's including, it's not just a personal thing, like it's, a, it's an us thing. And so if you, if you think about that, it, it's both challenging and it's encouraging. It's challenging that this is a corporate thing of, of, of returning to the Lord and knowing the Lord from a missional perspective. Like from, from a missional perspective, we are as the church, as followers of Jesus, supposed to be inviting others on the journey, right? Like let's, let's turn to God, let's know him. We can actually do this, we can know God. So come on, let's, let's do this. And you're inviting others in. You're inviting others who in a dark world don't know Jesus in to know him. That, that ultimately you and I, we're on the same page, we're on the same level platform that we both need Jesus. He's knowable, we can know him. Through his death, through his resurrection, it's possible. And so let us, let us know him, let us return to him. But then also, there's an encouraging aspect to this. A, a community type of perspective. That Christian, you're not alone in this. Like you're not alone. Whenever he says, let's return to the Lord, let's know the Lord, you don't have to do that by yourself. You don't. Like, I believe that we best return to God. I believe that we best remain faithful to God in community with others, with the church. That's the point of this whole thing. That broken people would come together weekly to encourage one another, to lift each other up, and to run after God. And so like, that's the point. That's why we do this. And we strive together we make effort together to know him in community. That's why you need a church family. That's why it's important to, to put forth the effort and showing up. That's the reason it's important to, 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 to commit and be, to be all in, to be serving, to be giving, to be faithfully attending. And it's why you need a small group. 
I talk about that all the time. I think, I think small groups is, is probably the most important thing that we do as a church family together because it's this, like it, it's that place where you're known and where you know other people and you hold each other accountable. You say, come on, we're gonna, we're gonna remain faithful to God together. We're gonna strive to know God together. And so you need, a, you need a group. You need a small group of people to be that for you. Someone who will link arms with you, run after God together. Somebody that you can say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you running straight, you keep me running straight, right? If I fall down, you pick me up. If you fall down, I'm picking you up. Like we're gonna strive to know God together. That's literally why we exist as a church. And so if we could, like let's just take this encouragement this morning that let's be about those things as a church. Let's return to him and let's know him together. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.